Women's Life podcast where we show you that women are capable of absolutely incredible things with the right tools, strategies, and mindset in place. I'm your host, Victoria Smith. I am a stress reduction coach who is all about helping you significantly reduce your stress so that you've got more time and energy for the things that matter most to you. Now, I just want to give a little bit of an update on the podcast because you might be like, hey, Victoria, we didn't get an episode last week. And um, that wasn't exactly the plan. But given, you know, summer is just summer, right? <laughs> summer got very busy. My kids got sick. My kids are about to be out of day home for a couple of weeks. So what I have decided is that you will get today's episode, obviously, and then you'll get another episode on August 22nd. And that'll be it for August. So it'll just be every other week. And then come September 5th, we'll go back to our regular weekly scheduling. So what you're actually going to get are interviews. So I'm going to give you the big meaty stuff and, and these interviews with these badass women who I absolutely adore. So that is what you will be getting uh, today, August 22nd and September 5th. So thank you so much for your patience. If you if you love the coaching episodes, and I hope that you do, they will be back on regular schedule in September. I just uh, need a little break and uh, to enjoy my summer and enjoy my kids. And I hope that uh, you're doing the same and taking some time for yourself. Now, today on the podcast, we are joined by a longtime friend of mine, Julia Pishna Geller. Now, Julie and I first met in like kindergarten, and we kind of tell that story a little bit. And Julie has a fascinating story. Like, I've always loved her as a friend. You know, she's just vivacious, outgoing, uh, life of a party, but also incredibly thoughtful, such a great reader. Uh, she's always been a person who no matter what's gone on or how long we've had between sort of seeing each other, we always pick up where we left off. And I hope that comes across in today's interview. But as I've gotten older, I've kind of really realized what an incredible life Julie and her family really had from from such a young age. Julie came to Canada as a refugee and from the from the Ukraine. And it was a big shift, right? Like they didn't speak English. She talks about, you know, her parents got divorced shortly after they arrived here. So she talks about it, what it was like to grow up, you know, with a single mother and and how you sort of adapt to the cultural changes, the language changes, all of that. And to see how far she has come as an individual, how her, how her family has grown, it, it, it's just, I'm honestly blown away. And I think it's she's got such an interesting backstory that I think you'll really, really find it interesting. And to top it off, we also talk about Julie's new entrepreneurial venture uh, with her Canna Curious company called Toke. And so we'll talk a little bit about that at the end. And you can find all the information, all the show notes on this at girltrieslife.com forward slash podcast dash 122 because we're on episode 122. The Girl Tries Life podcast is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, which is powered by ATB. We have a few new members of the Alberta Podcast Network, so I would highly recommend you check them out at albertapodcastnetwork.com. But I want to uh, profile a different podcast, not one of the new ones right now, but Mess Hall with Avery. Uh, it's a weekly podcast in which Avery Cochran talks to comedians and sometimes other people about food. Now, I do love a good meal, as I think do most, but I, I particularly enjoyed his episode with Julie Van Rosenthal. 
But I mean, having met Avery in person, he's an absolute joy. I think you'll really enjoy the podcast and it will make you hungry. So like, just be prepared for that. It's uh, definitely a very entertaining podcast and I hope that you check it out. So you can find the link to that again um, at girltrieslife.com forward slash podcast dash 122. And then I also just want to play a really quick ad from Alberta Health Services. We've got a lot more people, probably myself included at times, who are going to emergency when they don't actually need to. So they're going to give you all the information on when you do need to go and when you can use services like HealthLink or go see your local walk-in clinic instead. So take it away. We ask these children if they know when to go to emergency and when there are other options. I would definitely go to emergency if I broke my arm. If you stopped breathing or something's really wrong. If you had a cold, you should probably just go to a doctor and not into the emergency. Or clinic. If you have an emergency, we're here to help. If it's not an emergency, you have options. Take control of your health. Call 811 or visit ahs.ca slash options. Okay, so big thanks to Alberta's Health Services. Uh, I just know from personal experience the huge benefit my family have received from such an amazing healthcare system. We are so incredibly lucky. I mean, there's challenges as there are with any healthcare service, but like the nurses and doctors are working their butts off and I truly am grateful for the health service I have received in this province. Okay. Now, my final ask is if you're a regular listener of the Girl Tries Life podcast, I would ask, uh, hey, have you left us a review and a rating on Apple Podcasts? And if not, I would love, love, love if you would hit pause right now and go into Apple Podcasts to leave that rating and a review. The reason I think it's so important is not just to boost my ego. Like, obviously, I love to hear from you guys and I love to hear that input. But when I'm reaching out to potential podcast guests, particularly people that I don't know personally, it makes a big difference and sort of it's a vote of confidence for them to come on the show when they can see how many positive ratings and reviews that we do have. So the more the merrier, I would absolutely love it. And um, who knows, maybe down the line, I'll be that person that reads out the reviews on a podcast. I don't know if that's something you actually want to hear. Do you want to hear reviews from other people? I don't know. I'm not sold on it yet, but I would love, love, love if you would leave a rating and review so that we can continue to bring incredible women to the table from all walks of life from all around the world. It would make my day. Now, without further ado, let's head into the interview with Julie. Thank you, Julie, for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. So, okay. I've probably said it in the intro already, but you and I have known each other since we, you've got the better memory. How old were we? Uh, in my recollection, yep. we initially met in the sixth grade. We were not friends. We were in opposing friend groups, opposing girl gang groups. Yep. And then we met again in middle school in grade seven because we both went to the same junior high. And we had to be friends because neither of us knew anybody. <laughs> it was like survival. It was like survival. <laughs> we had no other friends. So yeah. that was where we had to bond. I feel like we I feel like we were in the same kindergarten class. And I think I only assume that because I've... No? That's possible. We may have known each other for anywhere from 15 to... Oh, no, we've known each other at least 15 20 years. 20 years. I know how old I am. How old are you? I don't know. It's a mystery. Yeah. Like, a woman never tells her. Yeah. Anyways, 
we have known each other a long time and I would say up and down over the years of like how much we get to see each other or how much our lives have kind of changed or where we're at or where in the world each other is but I feel like every time I see you we kind of pick up where we left off Mm -hmm. yeah I agree with that and so where I kind of want to start is ish at the beginning I was always very aware so I was a very white western European (laughs) kid like my parents are from Scotland um you know i was in Canada since the age of two so I consider myself very as Canadian as I could be besides being born here and I I remember getting to know you and like realizing how different our kind of like upbringings were and so I'm kind of hoping maybe you could talk a little about that and where you're from and how you got here yeah for sure um so yeah our upbringings are quite different but I think similar also in a lot of ways but Um, we moved to Calgary when I was five, uh, from what is now the Ukraine, but was at the time the former USSR. We, uh, left there when I was four. We left there in 19, or I guess three, 1989 is when we left at that, around that time they had opened up the borders and they were letting out Jews. And so my family was Jewish and they said, we'd like to leave. We're going back to our homeland, which is Israel. Um, please let us go. And that was not quite factual. We had no intention of actually going to Israel. So we and a lot of other Russian and uh, Ukrainian immigrants actually ended up getting off the airplane in Italy and just staying there until our refugee paperwork came through to come to Canada or the U.S. And so we actually lived in Italy um, in a small town outside of Rome called Nettuno. Uh, We lived there for about uh, just about a year and uh, it's really interesting especially now with you know all the uh, refugees that are coming to all different parts of the world. It's interesting to think about it based on how it was then and how it is now. But we we went to the small town and there was, you know, it was kind of overrun with Russian refugees. And my dad was going from store to store trying to look for work. And a woman overheard him talking to a store owner, asking if there was any jobs or if she knew of any apartments. And the store owner said no, but this woman overheard and came and basically offered us a place to live. And she took us and two other Russian families in to her home. And we, the three families, lived on in the upstairs of their home for a year. And they took us in as if we were family and we just kind of became part of their big Italian did you ever get a sense of why like that's a huge thing for someone to take in I don't know and you know it's interesting because we went uh or I have gone back to Italy and I've seen them since so I went back in 2010 um in my first Europe trip I was about 21 years old and um, I'd, I had their address still because my mom had kept in touch with them after we came to Canada. And so I wrote them a letter saying, this is who I am. I'd like to come see you. Don't know if you still live where you live, but if you do, here's my email address. Please get in touch. And um, so this woman's grandson actually had gotten in touch with me and said, Luciana would love to see you. She remembers you. Please come visit. And so 
Um, my friend and I had ended up meeting up with them in Rome with the grandson in Rome. And then we came to Natuno and they still lived in the same house where we had lived. And obviously there was a language barrier. I guess when you're a kid, you kind of pick up the, the language really quickly. She said I was speaking Italian when I was there. I don't know any Italian now, but her daughter-in-law was there and she was an English teacher in Italy. So she was able to kind of translate for us. But I never really got a sense as to why they did that. I think they just did it because it was just happening in the moment and they just felt like it was the right thing to do. Yeah. And I think it's just a really powerful story to think about now, especially with when you look at how refugees are being treated, not just in Canada, but across the world. It's just, it's, it's almost unfathomable that people would take in complete strangers not just one complete stranger but a family so it was my mom my dad and me they also took in a family who had an eight-year-old daughter with down syndrome and then another young couple so there was eight of us living in the upstairs of their home (laughs) so rewind for a second um maybe i'm just super ignorant but like leaving the purpose of the importance of leaving the USSR at that time was because? Uh, There was uncertainty around uh, if and when the borders would open again. So throughout communism, there were times where you could not leave uh, the USSR. And so at that time, they were opening the borders because at least my understanding is that Russia and the Ukraine were kind of moving towards a more democratic way of life. And at that point in time, they were saying, if you want to leave, you can. Um, and on, in addition to that, there was also a general sense that they didn't necessarily want Jews in the country. Right. And so <laughs> Jews were kind of given first right of refusal to leave. And my family definitely felt like the opportunities were limited in the country for them to grow and to live. And it definitely didn't seem like a place where they wanted to raise their families. And so everybody pretty much ended up leaving. Yeah. We should probably clarify for listeners the snuffling, gurgling <laughs> noise that we, he just looked at me is uh, is your puppy Cooper. Yes. I he, say puppy because he's small. He is making all sorts of noises next to my foot so just having a clean yeah so was Canada always the intention like why why Canada yeah so for us Canada was the intention because my dad had an aunt and an uncle who were living in Calgary and so they the intention was that they would sponsor us to come over they did not have a very good sense of the size of North America. And so my grandparents had friends in different parts of the States. And so their intention was to go to America and everybody kind of thought America was one big, but not so big place. Um, And so we figured we'd all end up somewhere in America and then we would all be very close together and it would be fine. Um, but as it turned out, my my grandparents landed in uh, Chicago. Well, some landed in Chicago, some landed in L.A., and then we landed in Calgary. And so we actually, after we came here, we didn't see my mom's mom, my grandmother, for five years yeah. because 
it was so expensive to fly between Calgary and Chicago. Nobody had any money. And so that was a bit of a shock, I think, to be so far apart, but to be in a whole new continent. And then it can't have been that you weren't in Canada that long before your parents separated, right? Yeah, that's right. So uh, we lived here, I think under a year and my parents separated um and so then my mom and, and that was a big big shock because uh, just to put it in perspective so my mom and my dad at this point my mom was 26 <laughs> yeah. and and my dad was 28 and so they had left their homeland mm-hmm. with no language that all they knew was russian um they moved when they were say 24 and 26 and then they ended up landing in Canada again with no language when they were 26 and 28 years old and then they divorced and just had to make a life and they and it wasn't like they were 26 and 28 years old and just single and living the dream they had a child to take care of and and starting from virtually nothing right exactly Exactly. So it's it's really crazy to think about now. I mean, I'm I'm 32 and I can't even fathom anything that they would have gone through. Yeah. Even now. Yeah. What did they do for work when they got here initially? Like and if you don't if you can't speak the language. I mean, I know you learn it as soon as possible, but like yeah. what do you do? So initially they got jobs as cleaners in Scotiabank and I actually remember they would take me so they would clean at nighttime. Yeah. So they would take me and I'd play with the kids toys that they had in the Scotiabank in Woodbine and oh they gosh. would clean it and that's just what they did and then eventually I think my dad got set up with a job working for uh, a friend of his uncle's and my mom uh, just took a bunch of odd jobs. She, I remember she said that she went around looking for hostess jobs. She had a really hard time finding them because again, she didn't really speak the language. And so then she ended up getting a, a job as a busser in a restaurant uh, at South Center Mall. And so she would take the bus there and do that work for minimum wage, which was of course like $5 at the time. And then she said the manager used to always pinch her butt uh, because I guess it was the early 90s and that was okay. Well, what was she going to do about it? Yeah, exactly. Um, so Your mom is beautiful, by the way. She is, Not that it's an excuse for her, but she's a looker for sure. But yeah, yeah she had a really hard time uh, getting started. And then eventually um, when her and my dad split up, she ended up getting um, a job at my daycare. Um, and so she was the, the kitchen lady at my daycare which and also the kitchen lady at ep scarlet high school which is crazy because she couldn't cook to save her life (laughs) so she's an artist by by trade so uh she had never really had to do any of that in russia when you get married you just live with your in-laws and so she had always had a mother-in-law and a grandmother-in-law who did all the cooking yeah um, and she never really had to worry about that. So it was crazy that she had to go and just cook for a bunch of kids. Yeah. It like, it occurs to me just like how much grit and resilience that takes to, yeah. like you're saying, like her, her trade, her passion is art. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to take on roles like that from a, both a survival, but a like, 
we're going to build this life and do whatever it takes to make it happen. Yeah. I mean, the irony of the situation too is that in Italy, so in, in Europe in general, you can make a pretty good living as an artist. Yeah. It's just in North America that it's really difficult. And when we were living in Italy as refugees, she was actually making quite good money painting um, icons for the Catholic Church. So she'd wow. been hired on by a couple churches in this town. And one of her specialties is actually like painting people. And she was just painting these beautiful wooden icons of Jesus and <laughs> Mary and all the people in the Bible as yeah. a Jewish woman living <laughs> in Italy do. as a refugee. Art um, is art. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. She was doing really well with that. But of course, when she came here, there's a very limited market for for that type of work. Yeah, <laughs> just a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you start school. Mm-hmm. Were you fluent by then? Like kids pick up language really quick or what was it? I was quite ESL when I started school. I don't know if you remember that about me, but when when I first was registered for school, so my name is Julie Yapishina Geller right now, but at the time, my name was Yulia Yapishina, and I was probably the most foreign person in my elementary school. There was obviously kids who came from like Asian and East Indian backgrounds who went to our school, but they were way less ESL than I was in, you know, 1990 in kindergarten in Woodlands in Calgary. So yeah, so I started school. I really didn't speak the language. I did pick it up pretty quickly just through watching TV. I have met some of the people who worked in my daycare, you know, in modern times now. And they have said that they thought I was mute when I first came because I was, I just didn't say a word, but I think it was because I was just trying to figure out what was happening and where I was and what was going on. And so I didn't speak really for the first year that we were here. And then, and then it was just from, at least from what people tell me, it was like all of a sudden one day I just started talking and then they couldn't get me to shut up. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So I found my voice and then I was just good to go, but I just needed to like listen and figure out what was happening before I started talking. So when you're, when you're a kid in elementary school and stuff like that, it's like bringing friends home and like having dinner at your friend's house or all of that. Like, what was that kind of experience like for you having a very different kind of cultural experience at home? So I would say it was a little bit embarrassing (laughs) and a little bit funny. I think it was equal parts embarrassing and funny. I remember people coming over to my house and, you know, you offer them food and then the food is borscht and... Which I now find delicious, but as a kid, you're like, what is this? As a kid, you're like, please don't feed my friends borscht. That's so embarrassing. Stop it. Um, You know, like the kids come over and all they want is a grilled cheese sandwich or bologna or chips and... You don't have any of those things because yeah. that's not what you eat in your house. Yeah. And your mom was also super healthy. My mom was a bit of a health nut. She <laughs> was like the original organic health nut before 
it became cool. Yeah. She's a real trendsetter as it turns out. <laughs> so yeah, that was not even a cool thing at the time either to be like, oh, my mom, my mom only eats organic. Yeah. <laughs> we are only allowed organic fruit in yeah. this house. That was just weird. Yeah. In the 90s. Yeah. It's, yeah, it occurs to me, like, I would, I experienced in elementary or junior high or all those kinds of things, the feeling of bullying or peer pressure for totally different reasons than you would if you had a different, like, culturally different. Kids are mean. Kids are Kids mean. Kids are awful. Yeah. yeah. And it's interesting because, so Woodlands, the school that you and I both went to for elementary, I actually found to be quite accommodating and it wasn't until I went, so in grade three and four, my mom and my stepdad decided that they wanted to put me into a school that was more challenging, which I'm still unclear as to why they thought I needed to be in a challenging school because I was not strong academically. <laughs> <laughs> so, but for some reason, they thought I just needed to be challenged further. So they put me into private school, which also happened to be the Calgary Jewish Academy, mm-hmm. which is... I think probably a really good school, but not if you come from a background that is different than the people who typically go to that school. It's a very small community. It was a very affluent community, and I just had not been part of that up until that point. And I also did not know that I was Jewish because part of growing up or in communism is that you don't get to practice your religion. And so I had never been raised as a Jew or with any Jewish beliefs. And so all of a sudden I was going to a Jewish school and I didn't even know what that meant. I didn't understand why I was there, what was happening, what that religion even was. And so that was a really tough two years for me because that was basically me being put into a community that was already very tight knit where people had already known each other for their entire lives. Their parents had grown up together and they came from a very different socioeconomic background than I did. But it's, I guess it's weird for me because you would think just from a historical standpoint that like everything that Jewish people have been through that they would kind of like welcome their community in even if they're different because they've been through similar persecution. Mm-hmm. No? Well, I mean, you <laughs> I think I think it's different depending on where you're from. Right. Um and I just think that you know, if you're from a larger city, maybe like a Toronto, for mm-hmm. example, you would have a larger diversity of Jewish people that would come from all sorts of different backgrounds. Yeah. As opposed to being from a much smaller community like Calgary, mm-hmm. um, where you don't have as much diversity. It's a much more homogenous group. That's of a nice people. way to put it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I, I, yeah, I, I mean, and I mean, that's only my experience, right? Like, I don't yeah. know. Other people might have had different experiences, but yeah. I think coming from Russia at the time that I did and, and not having that same, I guess, childhood, um, or background as the Canadian Jews that were in the school at the time was really challenging. I know, um, you know, I have two half sisters and 
also they have they have grown up in Canada and they were born in Canada they grew up in Canada and they grew up Jewish in Canada with a much different background than I did um and I know that they have a lot of friends who are in very similar circumstances to them like they have parents who came from the former USSR Russia Ukraine Kazakhstan and they there's a whole community yeah but it's their age I think I just kind of came at that awkward time where there weren't necessarily that many kids my age who were from that background at that time well and it's not like there were meetup groups or like facebook groups back (laughs) then to be like hey where are my people at Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. yeah okay so one of my experiences of spending time with you is that you come from a family of strong women. Mm-hmm. Your mom is really like all the things you're talking about, all the things she's been through, incredibly strong. I remember hearing all these stories about your grandmother <laughs> and like looking back on everything that she's been through, like being a single parent at times, like immigration, all that kind of stuff. What are the kind of life lessons you've learned from her? So I think from my mom, I've learned two really important lessons. And the first is that you have to do what you have to do to survive. And then once you've done that, you have to do what you want to do. And, and my mom is a really classic example of that. So when we first got here, she was in a pretty bad situation. She had no family. She divorced my dad. She was essentially alone with a young five-year-old child and she had no language really no education that transferred um, and she had to figure out how to survive in that situation and she had pretty much full more or less full custody right and she had full custody Yeah. yeah exactly and so she she did that. She figured it out. She had at one point, I remember she was going to Viscount Bennett for English school and I was just coming with her and coloring like in the background. She had three different jobs. We would take the bus everywhere. We'd go to the laundromat um, <laughs> to laundry on Sundays. And, you know, for a number of years, everything was about surviving and it was about looking after me and making sure that I didn't want for anything and then there was a certain point in time where she kind of got us to a point where we were fine we were comfortable she had remarried and then all of a sudden she started kind of branching out and doing you know she was getting back into art she was teaching piano Um, she started doing commission paintings for people Uh, she started kind of exploring the things that she wanted to do she started traveling a little bit and and I remember at one point um she told me that you know nobody is going to um value you as a person if you don't value yourself and so you really have to take time to be selfish and to do what you want to do because if you don't do that then no one else is going to do that for you and I think that just makes so much sense because just seeing how selfless she was for so many years, I think you, even myself as her child took that for granted that you start to just expect that 
um, from that person and you don't realize that they're also an individual and that they also have their own hopes and dreams and things that they want to do. And, and, you know, I mean, I'm her daughter. I'm someone who loves her and cares for her very deeply. But when you don't think of someone as someone with needs, you don't even take that into consideration. And so now, you know, in the last few years, seeing her do the things that she wants to do reminds me that, hey, this is a, a person too who needs that time and who needs to to do the things that she wants to do. And I think that's really important for all women to just acknowledge the fact that on top of being like a mother and a wife and a professional and whatever else you are, you're also an individual and you're an individual who deserves to take time to do the things that you want to do yeah so that's the first thing and then the second thing is um taking chances to do things that may not necessarily be very practical but doing them anyways because you never know and you don't want to look back and regret the things that you didn't do so for example you know travel is a really good example of that you might not always have, you know, the money or the resources or the time to go do that, but you have to carve those out and you just have to take the chance and do those while you can because you're never going to look back on the things that you did do and regret them. You're going to look back on the things that you didn't do and wonder what if. Yeah. And you've taken that to heart because you've spent like a year in Germany Mm -hmm. and backpacking and you just got back from Australia and you've been to Israel Mm -hmm. and What's that experience like going to Israel? It is really interesting. It is like going to Israel is like, for me, it was like going home. Yeah. (laughs) Which is really weird to say because I'm the worst Jew, as you know. I eat all the bacon. I don't really (laughs) observe Jewish holidays. But there are just so many Russian people in Israel who are who have the same background like they left Russia the same time that I did and but then instead they got of, back on the plane exactly <laughs> they got back on the plane they didn't just stay in Italy um they went to Israel and then they started lives there um I can't remember the exact stat but I think it's there's like hundreds of thousands of Russians who ended up going to Israel around the same time that we came to Canada yeah and you really feel kind of at home in that culture. So people are like a little bit rude, but also very warm. And just the culture there is very vibrant and it's very welcoming and people are very um, curious about each other and they just really know how to, how to live life to the fullest. And I just love it. I think, um, I think partly it's because of, you know, where they're at politically too. Like they're, usually in a state of war or near war and so people just live every day um, to the max and that is you know a wonderful thing yeah in the moment because it's something I feel like in North America we really lack the being able to live in the moment and I feel like in some ways our vibrancy is very different here Mm -hmm. I think our I don't even know that I would call it vibrant here. I would say it's very pushing everything to burnout. 
yeah. working to burn out, party to burn out, all those things like... I, f- I think vibrancy is a notch down from burnout. So you can enjoy it before burning out. Vibrancy is a marathon. Yeah. And burning out is the sprint. Yes. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Yeah. Because I think, I, I think that's exactly right. The people of Israel, from what I've experienced, just, they have a hard life. Um, but they also can really appreciate the um, the good times. And yeah. they do, and they they just they they appreciate you know art and music and um, just being together and celebrating, and it's it's just a very interesting culture yeah. like no other. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Okay, so I don't know how one makes this transition. <laughs> Let's talk about cannabis. Okay. <laughs> Let's do that. I, I know how. Okay. Israel. So cannabis is not legal in Israel. Right. However, they are the leaders in medical cannabis research. Right. And I have never been to a country that has more readily available cannabis than Israel. Even though it's illegal. Even though it is illegal, you can walk into... I swear, any restaurant and be like, hey, mind if I smoke this on your patio? And they're like, yeah, sure. And people are just smoking it nonstop all over the place on the beaches and restaurants, yeah. on patios. Doesn't matter. Everywhere. Okay. So how does, how did you, how did your journey with cannabis begin? Great question, Victoria. Maybe um, not begin. How does it, <laughs> where is it now? So... <laughs> Okay, so my journey with cannabis um, started, I would say, I mean, like everybody's journey with cannabis. Yeah, that's what I was like, <laughs> do we start at the beginning? Yeah, beginning? Like, like, so, you know, I obviously had tried it various parties in, say, high school. Is that Didn't, the one where I soaked you with water? Yeah, yeah I think okay. that was one of those parties. <laughs> yeah. um, so I tried it. I had determined at that time that, you know, cannabis seems to make me sleepy. I mean, I called it weed at the time. Yeah. I was like, this makes me sleepy. I don't see why I would be into this. It's weird. I don't like it. I don't like being in people's basements. I decided I did, I, it wasn't for me in yeah. the high school times. And so I didn't really, like, you know, I would, like, smoke it every so often when it was around, but I didn't really seek it out. Seek it out. Yeah. I didn't really care for it. And that was basically my experience with cannabis up until about two years ago. And around that time, I had been going to the doctor because I have had terrible period cramps for, I mean, since I was a teenager. And I'm talking like uh, throwing up, laying on the floor, passing out cold sweats, hot sweats, just incapacitated for a couple of hours um, at certain times during my period, just from the sheer pain of the cramps. So it's very not ideal. Um, So I had gone to the doctor, was trying to look for ways to manage the situation. Um, I'd been offered some, you know, pretty intense pharmaceuticals, which I wasn't super into taking. Mm -hmm. And then one doctor said to me, well, why don't you try cannabis? Because at that point it was We've medicinally yeah. Yeah. legal. Yeah. Um, and so they were like, why don't you try this? 
So I went to um, Harvest Medicine, which is a medicinal cannabis clinic here in Calgary. And I met with the doctor there and they were like, yeah, you should try it. And, you know, like everything to do with cannabis, it was very experimental because there just really hasn't been a lot of research done on it since the 20s, which was when it was banned as a substance up until the 20s it was really part of all of your pain medicine Mm -hmm. um and then they got rid of it and so since then there hasn't really been much done with it um and so they said you know there's not a lot of information but like it should help with your pain management you just have to experiment a little bit Mm -hmm. so there's not much that a doctor will tell you in terms of how much you should take what products you should take, how you should consume it. Should you smoke it? Should you vape it? Should you take it in oil form? Yeah. Nothing. It's very up to you as the user. So I got a prescription. I talked to a few people (laughs) and then I just started experimenting with it. And in the first three months, I noticed that it wasn't really helping with my pain management, but what it did help with was my PMS symptoms, which was a happy surprise. Yeah. So I had previously had a lot of trouble sleeping in like the seven to 10 days before my period. And that the cannabis, like taking the oils before bed really helped my sleep cycles. Yeah. And on top of that, it really helped kind of regulate my hormones. Um, so I wasn't getting the crazy cravings and mood swings that I was previously having. So that was already kind of positive. Even with the munchies? Even with the munchies, <laughs> but depending on the product. Oil is different. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> depending on the product. Um, and so that was a happy surprise. So I went back, it, they make you come back after three months just to report back on how it's going. Yeah. And I said, you know, it's not really helping with my pain, which is the whole reason I started taking it, yeah. but it is helping with these things. So the doctor said, well, you should try taking more. And I was like, okay, I guess I'll try taking yeah. more. So I upped my dosage. I, at this point, I had determined the oil was probably the best for me. And so I upped my dosage of CBD, which is the the, the part of cannabis that doesn't make you high. Yeah. Um, so the THC is what gives you the um, the effect of feeling high, and the CBD yeah. is gives you more of that medicinal um, benefit. And um, and I started taking that, and and I upped that dosage, and it worked like a charm. And you know, part of it is that you know, you don't take cannabis once you're already in pain. I mean, some people do, but for me, it doesn't do anything. If I'm already in pain, it's not going to help. But if I take it as a preventative measure um, and it builds up in my system over time, that's where it really helps me. So for me, if I take, if I start taking oils uh, 10 days before my period is supposed to arrive, then I have almost no symptoms Um, Like I have almost no pain. I still can like feel the cramps a little bit, but they're muted. They're significantly muted. The other benefit that I found totally by accident was uh, I was actually going to a Brazilian wax and (laughs) it was poorly timed right next to when my period was supposed Mm -hmm. to start. And I was walking to my wax and I was like, I can feel my cramps. This is terrible. So I took my vape with me and I had a couple drags of my vape and then went to my wax appointment my cramps were still there but I it really took the sting out of the (laughs) 
the wax. So <laughs> that was a happy thing that I did not anticipate happening. So now you time it that way. Yeah. So now I'm way. like, I have, so you probably know this about me, um, based on junior high, but I have a very intensive hair removal regimen and <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of like waxing and laser hair removal that happens in my life and it all is very painful and now I know that I have cannabis that to rely on to help take the pain away there you go yeah okay so pa- cannabis for massive pain reduction which mm-hmm. is awesome when did you decide to make this a business and tell us about your business So I decided to make it my business around the time that I was doing all of my experimentation with the medicinal side of things. So because nobody tells you anything about dosing or products or consumption, I was doing a lot of experimenting on my own. And um, one of the things I realized is that different products have vastly different effects. So and different consumption methods also have vastly different effects. And as I was, you know, smoking and experiencing those effects, I was realizing, hey, like this is doing nothing for my pain, but boy, do I feel relaxed or boy, do I feel creative right now? Or wouldn't it be nice to just take the dog for a walk right now and just have a great time? Or um, why can't I just have my girlfriends over for cannabis instead of wine or cocktails and have like a great girls night this way. And that's what got me thinking that cannabis is a really misunderstood product. You know, I always thought that it, you, you smoke cannabis, you get sleepy, you fall asleep, you don't do anything with your night. Maybe you play a video game and then you fall asleep. That like stoner uh, stereotype. Exactly. And then I realized that there's a whole other world out there where cannabis can actually complement so many activities and experiences that you're having. You just need to know the right product to pair with the right activity. And so I create a toke, which is all about the experience. And so I've got um, different themed experience boxes that um, contain locally sourced products. So from across Canada, and some of them are cannabis related and others are completely unrelated to cannabis, but are just great products that can help complement the experience of smoking or vaping or taking the oils. Um, And I've got different recommendations for the products that go with each experience box. And on top of that, I've started doing basically a Tupperware party, but with pot. Um, And so I'll do these private parties in people's houses where I'll come, um, I'll bring some samples from my own personal stash, and then I'll bring the experience boxes and I'll walk everybody through, you know, the, the types of activities and the types of things that you could do with cannabis and how um, that can really be incorporated as part of your own um like personal self-care routine yeah interesting yeah so is i mean i don't know much about it right now is cannabis still something i mean i know it's legal but is it still something that you should go to a place like harvest medicine to sort of figure out what your usage is i feel i don't great i don't question. know um so it depends on what you want to use cannabis for so if you so it is legal So right now it's legal in Canada to smoke cannabis flower and to purchase cannabis oils that you can take sublingually. 
Um, Sublingually? And, yeah, so under under the tongue. Okay, got mm-hmm. it. Um, however, I would say if you are looking for something to help you medically, like if you are in need of medicine because you have chronic pain or anxiety or um, depression or inflammation, any list of those medical conditions I would say go to a place like Harvest Medicine and speak to a doctor don't try to self-medicate partly because on the medical side there is a bit more product that is legally available to you than there is on the recreational side right now and partly just because you want to make sure that you're not taking something that could be detrimental to your health or could be interfering with other medication that you may be on. Um, And so those are important considerations. So definitely go see a doctor um, if you have medical concerns. If you don't have medical concerns and you're just looking to experiment with cannabis because you want to, you know, relax or get high or just have a good time, then absolutely go to your friendly neighborhood dispensary, have a little chat come to me. I can talk to you about that too. Um, and, um, yeah. And then just experiment with, uh, the, the different kinds. I would say definitely if you're still, if you're new and starting out, start with a lower THC, anywhere from like a nine to a 15% THC. Don't go for the 20 plus percent THC because that's going to make you fall asleep or get sick. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) So where can we find toke online? Uh, you can find Toke at tokelocal.com. Uh, so T-O-K-L-O-C-A-L.com. Or on Instagram at toke, T-O-K dot local. Exciting. I definitely want to give one of them a try. Yeah. I like the bath idea, like the CBD oil in the bath. Yeah. That's actually a yeah. great one to start because you don't get high, but you definitely feel the relaxation yeah. effects. It's like epsom salts times a thousand okay that's interesting because mm-hmm. i find epsom salts i feel like it's a placebo mm-hmm. i'm mm-hmm. like i i'm adding two cups of this yeah i feel no different interesting well yeah. i would like to give you a bath bomb to Ooh, try exciting. and then you can try it and report back on Excellent. your feelings yeah so i mean the the toke boxes are really intended for women specifically who might be be curious about or kind of curious as I, I like call that it. you call it <laughs> uh, but did, maybe don't know how to get started or are a bit afraid of the effects of feeling high um, and so the idea is you can try it in your own time in the comfort of your own home where you can really dial in to how you're feeling and how the products are impacting you I always recommend that people keep a bit of a journal so that they can track how, especially different products and different strains of products, because really cannabis is a lot like wine where there's different kinds and uh, they come from different areas of the world and those all have different effects on how you feel. And everybody is very different. My dog is just so distracting right now. (laughs) He is so embarrassing. Are you going to do a toke journal? I have a toke journal. Do you? Yeah, I do. Yeah, because, I mean, that's the thing is like cannabis is a very personalized experience. And so something that might make me feel happy and uplifted might make you feel sleepy and depressed. Yeah. And that's okay. 
it's just a matter of knowing that so yeah. that you know which strains work for you. Yeah. But yeah, that's why the bath boxes are so nice to start with because okay. you can just have that relaxation without the the heady impacts. Okay. Is there a certain amount of time you should stay in the bath with those? I'd say anywhere from like 20 minutes to an hour. Yeah, I have stayed in the bath an hour. Yeah, well, <laughs> so interestingly, Prune. I hate baths. I am a person who hates baths. Yes, I'm a shower person. I am a shower person as well. My mom takes a bath every night before bed. I think European. that's gross. Yeah. yeah. Um, but so I don't ever take <laughs> baths. I, I do think it's gross. It's <laughs> gross. You're just sitting in your own water. <laughs> Anyways. Hi, Sonia. <laughs> Hi, Mom. <laughs> Love you. Um, but anyways, I am not a bath person, but when I heard about these bath bombs, I was like, let me try them. You add your own oil. So yeah. like they're hemp bath bombs, but you add your own CBD or THC oils to them, which you can buy in any yeah. dispensary. And, and then you toss them in. And the bath is so relaxing that I stayed in it the first time I had that bath I stayed in it for 45 minutes holy yeah okay and I was like because I'm like at 10 minutes and I'm done yeah interesting okay it is interesting it I was shocked and that's why I now carry those products because I was like everyone should know and feel this interesting okay I will report back Mm -hmm. please do okay so we're gonna wrap up with the five questions I ask all my guests Mm -hmm. so this (laughs) this could be personal or professional or any combination thereof what are some of the things or the projects that get you fired up in a good way that is a great question so projects hey not just like things that fire me up things projects whatever okay yeah Um, people topics interesting so I was thinking about this and there's a lot of things that fire me up in a good way. Uh, yeah, yeah, I know. And so then that's what I know. Me. I could rant. Yeah, I know. It's like, do you want me to rant? Um, but so this, this happened to me the other day. I was feeling really down just about, you know, when you're launching that entrepreneurial life, it's just a hard time. There's a lot of ups and downs yeah. and I was in a bit of a downtime and I was, feeling a little bit unmotivated and a little bit dejected because some stuff wasn't working out. And the thing that really fired me up was, um, a friend of mine, a recent friend that I just made through the business actually invited me to a Bumble BFF event. Oh, I've heard about these. Yeah. So are they like, invite only or are they? Uh, no, like, they. Okay. well, like, I, I think maybe this one was, I'm not yeah. really sure. Anyway, she was like, you should come to this event. And I went to it and I didn't want to because I just wanted to stay home and like curl up in a ball and fall asleep. And, but I forced myself to go out and I'm so glad I did because it really fired me up in a good way. So it was just so interesting because there were so many girls there who were all just living these really inspirational lives who were all doing really cool things. Like they weren't all entrepreneurs by any stretch, but a lot of them were. And a lot of them were just really awesome people who just brought a really good energy to the table and were really open and friendly and willing to meet new people. And I was just so happy that I was at that event and surrounded by all of that positive energy because it really rejuvenated me. And I went home being like, you know what? It's okay. I've had a setback, but that's fine. I, we'll get back on that horse. And I just felt like I made a lot of 
great connections, um, not even necessarily for my business or anything, but just like just really positive people in a really great community. Yeah. And that was something that I felt really rejuvenated me and fired me up. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Okay. We are readers. (laughs) I'm just joined your book club. I'm really excited. Book club bays. Yes. My husband laughed at that name. Um, What is the sort of most inspiring read that you've had in the past couple of years? Okay, well, I was going to say Michelle Obama's book, Becoming, but I have heard a number of people say this. Yep, okay. So I'm not going to say that. I mean, it's not that. a bad choice. No, it's, it's I yeah. mean, she's very inspirational. Yeah. And like you, I listened to the podcast because she narrated it, yeah. or the audiobook because she narrated it, and it was the best. I basically feel like Michelle and I are yeah. intimately involved now. You could pretend she was still the first lady. Yeah. 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 I feel like I can just call her Michelle yeah. also. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Um, so that is by far the most inspirational book I've read. Okay. But um, my favorite read, and this I think speaks more to the unplugging and the managing stress side of things, um, was uh, The Girl with All the Gifts. And I read this a couple of years ago, but it really stayed with me because I have not read a book that is such a page turner in a very long time. Like one of those books. Is it books, fiction or nonfiction? It is fiction. Yeah. So The Girl with All the Gifts. Um, and it's by M.R. Carey. Okay. We'll link to it in the show notes. Yeah, yeah. It's super random as a book, I think, for your yeah, podcast. Yeah, I've never heard of it before. Okay. So it they did make a movie out of it um, a couple years ago. I don't think the movie did super well. I could be wrong. But the book was a real page turner for me. I just, I really got caught up in it. It really took my mind kind of off of everything that I was doing in real life. And it just carried me into this whole alternate um, world. But it's sci-fi, which is also very unusual for me. Although I did recommend a sci-fi book to you recently. So maybe it's not that unusual. Anyways, it was... Mom brain. Um, but yeah, it's basically like a post-apocalyptic zombie type book, but it's got a bit of a deeper, um, feel to it because instead of having, you know, the good guys and the bad guys are the zombies and the good guys are the people who are not the zombies trying to survive. It's got this kind of mix of characters who are kind of in this like transitionary phase between being zombies and not zombies. And then all these other people who are not infected, who are trying to do testing on the people who are transitioning. And, and they're obviously trying to do that for the benefit of humanity, Mm -hmm. but also committing atrocious human rights crimes in the process. And it is just a really interesting book. And they really bring in a lot of character development, which I appreciate. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, it's just been a long time since I read a book that was such a page turner. Okay. I will have to pick it up. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Yeah. Let me know what you think. So as a stress reduction coach, I am always fascinated by like, what are the things that really stress you out and how do you manage your stress? The things that really stress me out, I would say are um, a combination of things. So I, I carry a lot of guilt around my time management and I think that's related to you know spending time with family my husband um and then taking time for myself to do fitness or whatever I need to do and then also time to 
do my day job and my side hustle, which is in cannabis. And so for me, like that is something that is constantly weighing on me is, you know, I should be doing, if I'm relaxing, I should be doing something else. Or if I am doing one thing, I should be Mm -hmm. doing, you know, the other thing. (laughs) And then on top of that, I would say money is a constant stressor as well, because obviously um, I'm in the starting phase of a business where you're not necessarily bringing in a ton of money, but you are putting a lot of money in to get things rolling. And so I think those would be my major stressors and how I manage them. Honestly, lately I've been just prioritizing exercise and fitness over everything because I feel like it helps me cope with the rest of the stressors. Mm -hmm. Um, So if I exercise, I have a clearer head and so I can actually focus on the things I need to focus on. Even if it's not, you know, going to a workout class, maybe it's, I, if I have to drive somewhere, it's parking a couple blocks away and just taking a little bit of extra time to walk to my destination. Or I'm a big fan of combining activities. So if I can walk my dog and have a phone call at yeah. the same time. Yeah. That's a huge win for me. Yeah. So those are major things. And then the other thing is, honestly, with um, with the cannabis business and with being involved in cannabis, I do use that not as a coping mechanism. I think there's a difference between coping mechanisms and incorporating something into like your de-stressing routine Mm -hmm. um and so the things like the baths I definitely use as as a way to de-stress and take time for myself but also I have found sometimes as a problem solving tool cannabis can really help kind of open your mind because it kind of gets you you out of your own head and out of your own way and so some of the I've I've run into some problems with my business where I'm like I don't know what to do I've hit like a roadblock and Mm -hmm. I don't know how to fix it. And I've smoked a little bit of cannabis and just been able to come out with a very creative solution because of that, Um, because it kind of clears your mind that way. So not condoning, uh, relying on a substance, but I do think there is something to be said to, you know, like kick back with a glass of wine or yeah. kick back with um, a toke. It, it, it stimulates a different part of your brain, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Like, and I think when we're in that really high anxiety or high stress, our, like it's only one part of our brain that's really lighting up. So if you can yeah. kind of turn that off and ignite a different part. Exactly. Yeah, different things are going to come out. You're going to get different solutions, different creativity. Exactly. I think sometimes when you're really stressed, you get into a bit of a churn yeah. of negative thoughts and negativity, and it's really hard to see above that. And so if you can just silence that part for a little bit, yeah, it opens up your mind to a lot of other um, possibilities. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what's the best life lesson that you've learned or advice that you've been given? I think think that my best life lesson and I touched on it I think a little bit earlier but um, it would be that you won't regret the things you've done only the things that you haven't done and so I always think about that you know particularly in terms of travel because there always seems to be a reason not to go to a place or not to do a thing or not to start a business and then you know at the end of the day if you haven't tried it, you're just going to be left wondering what would have happened or what could have happened if you had. And I think that's just really something that I've taken to heart and has, has really fueled me for my whole life. And I think you've, you've shared that with others, right? Like when, 
when I met your husband, he was not a traveler and now he is. And now he is. Yeah, that's true. You share that. You share that joy with others. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't say he loves it, but (laughs) he goes. (laughs) But does he regret having done it? I don't think so. No, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Final question, Julie, is what does it mean to you to live your best life? Uh, My best life to me, I think, means... (laughs) sleeping according to my dog um living my best life to me means balance I think so having the right balance where I have the means to pursue the things I love which include you know travel hobbies like photography spending time with my family my friends but also being stimulated enough in my professional life where I feel excited every day to get up and go to work and go to my job. I think it's quite simple. Like I just want to have that nice balance between um, not being overworked and overstressed and being able to do all of the things that I value. Yeah, that's great. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Okay, so big thank you to Julie for being on the podcast. I so appreciate her time. Again, if you haven't left a rating or review, I would so love it if you would do that right now. And finally, just to let you know a little bit more about Stress Less in 90 Days, uh, it is coming in September and I've got a couple other things that are going to be coming out in the meantime. Uh, So some really exciting news on that front. If you want to make sure that you don't miss a beat, I would honestly just recommend that you sign up for the newsletter. So the easiest way to do that is to go to girltrieslife.com forward slash podcast dash 122 or in the description of wherever you're reading this podcast. Uh, In exchange, I will give you a document of 100 self-care ideas. Uh, I tried to think of stuff in all sorts of different categories. So I I don't know, a bubble bath doesn't work for me, but it might for you. But then I, you know, thought of things far and beyond. So I hope that they're very helpful for you. Uh, They've definitely been helpful for me. So you'll get that freebie. You'll be signed up for the bi-weekly newsletter and you will get first access, first information about all of these programs that come out. We are really truly trying to build stressless resources for you. So any feedback that you've got, any, any concerns or questions that you've got or like this is an area that you're struggling with stress let me know just hit reply to one of those emails and tell me what's going on and we will create the content that you need so I'm very excited about it and I hope that uh, I hope to see some of you there so thank you so much again we will be back August 22nd and uh, yeah have a fantastic summer enjoy the weather take care